Hi, you're listening to Walkley Talks with me, Helen Sullivan. Photographers and artists capture the visuals that frame our understanding and memory of conflicts. For this very special storyology panel, two cousins, painter Ben Quilty and Gold Walkley winning photojournalist Andrew Quilty, compare notes on capturing the visual story of Afghanistan and the men and women who have served there. Our fabulous moderator for this session was Jennifer Byrne, host of the ABC's Book Club. Just tell us what it was like, having travelled for a week, when you walked into the town of Kinduz and you saw that image. Because what we see is what you're showing us, but you saw a lot, lot more. As you said, it was a, a week-long process to, to get to this hospital after it had been bombed. Once the hospital was bombed, that was something that I really kind of zeroed in on and, and made that my focus of... Of, of my trip there, trying to get to the hospital. Um, when you were standing there taking that image, um, what did you smell? What did you feel? What did you see? Oh, I was, um, I mean, I was drenched in sweat for one thing. It was very hot. It was um, a kind of stressful environment, obviously. There was, um, it was, um, I mean, getting into the city itself was, was difficult and not, you know, um, particularly safe. So I, but having, got into the door um, in, inside the, the, the grounds of the hospital, made my way kind of forensically through the hospital, trying to photograph every room, almost as a, uh, you know, collecting evidence rather than as a documentary photographer. Um, I was trying to do it as quickly as I possibly could because, you know, every minute spent in that environment, is, there, was, there was fighting still going on, like a block away, um, was obviously, you know, a minute more danger I was putting myself in. So I was trying to work as quickly as I could. Um, and I, before I left, um, having, having photographed probably 50 rooms in the most damaged part of the hospital, I looked towards the, um, the final wing of the hospital, which hadn't been as badly damaged, it wasn't burnt out or anything. And I thought, oh, should I go in? Um, have I got time? Is it too much risk? And anyway, I pushed, pushed through the, the, the swing doors and there are a few operating rooms in there. Um, as I said, they weren't burnt out or completely destroyed, but they were, you know, the roofs were caved in, there was rubble on the ground things, and this was one of the, those operating theatres. And so once my eyes adjusted, I, um, you know, I, I knew this, it was a kind of significant, um, symbolic scene, and so I spent a bit more time in there than I had in the, in the other rooms, you know, moving around the room, trying to, um, you know, kind of capture it in, in one image. And did you know... This is it. This is the great image. I mean, did you take no. 50 other rooms? Did you know that was the one? Not really, no. I mean, it was, it was a very stressful environment. I was just working really kind of instinctively at that point and just getting it done and thinking about getting out of there. Um, yeah, it wasn't until afterwards that I really saw the significance of it. And I think what was remarkable, that was the story that won the picture of the year. But, but Andrew then went and actually detailed the story of Benazar, is that how you pronounce his name? Um, uh, and met his family and got permission from his family and got them to talk about him. And here are, the, for these series of images, um, I think you got Photographer of the Year. How important was it for you to chronicle his life? Why did you want more than just that single? I mean, you know, you think of the, the memorable images, like that terrible one of the Viet um, girl burning and, 
often they're just the one image, but you went looking for more. Why? Well, um, it, it's less um, benevolent than, um, than it might seem, actually. I, um, you know, having got, got some of these pictures from the hospital, um, I was working for foreign policy at the time, and they were obviously very keen to publish them. They were, no one else had the pictures. Um, and it was a you know significant event in the in the Afghanistan war. Um, it was talking with um, colleagues or friends and and um, people at MSF um, who who ran the hospital, who were um, had a lot of misgivings about publishing that photo so soon after the event. I think they were concerned about the um, how it would look or how they would perceived having left the hospital while there were still bodies inside. Um, I, I don't judge them for that, but um, I think they were worried about that perception um, and, and for the safety of their staff still in Kunduz. So, um, you know, after a lot of talking with, you know, right up to the top of MSF in, in Brussels and my editors in, in Washington, D.C., we, we decided to hold off on publishing for, for a time. And that gave us the opportunity to go further and, and, and find the family. Right. And you make the point, and it was in the, um, the Walkley information, that you did seek permission and they wanted it published. What if they had said they didn't want it published? I don't know. I mean, legally... Come on, you, you must not. Well, fortunately, I wasn't... What would you think? What would you... It's such an important image. Yeah. I can see that argument yeah. and I could also... It's a genuine question. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have to. I wasn't posed with the question, but um, I mean, legally, I'm under no obligation not to publish it. But morally, ethically, that's another story. Um, I, and I have um, I, I have colleagues who have um, been in in that situation, and they the, the family in a more um, uh, formal arrangement in with, with uh, embeds with uh, American soldiers. If a soldier dies and a photographer has photos of them, um, the family has to give permission for those photos to be used. And I've and I know of photographers who's um, who have had um, who have been involved in situations where the family hasn't given permission, and that's that. And you haven't had to make that choice. No. No. Um, we'll be obviously talking more as a as a group as the two uh, quilties, but it's just as well, I think, really important, I think, to see the work. Ben's brought a selection of the work he did, the paintings and portraits of soldiers when he went on the, um, was embedded with the <coughs> Defence Force um, some years ago. And they're also extremely powerful images. I remember going to the um, exhibition uh, about four years, three years ago, and it was, I mean, people were shocked because he was an official war artist, but these were not images that people had seen before they showed. Um, what, what was the story you were telling? Yeah, so, so when I was asked to do this, um, again, I was actually in the car with Kylie, driving home with our kids, and we got a call from the War Memorial, very surreal call to ask me to go to Afghanistan, and it's completely out of nowhere. But they've been doing a, f they do a file on you for years to see how you, if you're rational and if you're going to, make irrational statements having been given this opportunity. Um, mind you, at that time, PTSD was an irrational thing within defence. They really didn't want it discussed. Um, but it just was so clear that that was the, the big issue when I met these 
young men and women in Afghanistan. Um, I think that image, the first one of the, old, the older fella, John Oddy, um, he, I met him in our Minhad as he was leaving Afghanistan and I was on my way in and he said, oh, I know you're coming. Um, and actually some of the young men that I was with in the mess hall said, don't go and talk to him, he's, he's in command and we don't, you just don't do that. And I was like, what? No, I've got to go and talk to everyone. So I beelined straight over to him. And I just sensed this sadness. He's just broken, but holding this thing together, a shell, really. Um, and when I came back from Afghanistan, I, I started realising that I needed to continue conversations with these people to really tell the story of what their lives were, that none of us really... I felt no-one knew about what their life was, having had 14 years in Afghanistan. Um, and I asked Defence through the War Memorial if I could have contact with him and the, the guy on the other end of the phone said, we think he's having a nervous breakdown so we don't want you to talk to him. It's like, hang on, what, what story am I telling? This, that's mm. insane. So, and as, as he was leaving in our minhad, he said, um, I, I said, I'd, where, do you, where do you retire to? He said, I'm sorry, I won't be here for you, but you, you have, he told me my equivalent rank, you have access to everyone you want. I said, where do you, he, he's retiring. And I said, where do you retire to from a place like this? And he said, a little town you never would have heard of called Robertson. It's like, what? That's my town. There's a thousand people in that town. So after the War Memorial said, no, you can't have contact because he's having a breakdown, I walked into the supermarket and said, Heather, do you know John Oddie? And she said, yeah, love, four double eight five six seven four two. No operational security in the <laughs> Heather's, Heather Tate's supermarket. Uh, and then... Um, and then actually Andy, Andy came, I can't remember why you're in the studio, but he actually photographed one sitting with John. And, um, and actually the only time it's ever been done, you set up a camera that, that, did, that recorded the whole, um, the whole thing. Um, and you, uh, halfway through that, John was in tears, yes. just looking at the portrait and saying, is that really the way I look? That's the way I feel? I can't believe you can see that, what's written all over him. Well, was there blowback? Because unlike Andrew, who was operating, you know, who'd been operating for nearly four years as a freelancer, your employer, so to speak, the commissioner, um, the, who appointed the official war artist, was the Department of Defence. <clears throat> what did they think? Um, they were very unhappy, to be honest. I had lots of um, very tricky times with defence as I worked through the body of work, and particularly in the lead-up to it. Australian Story did a piece which John was interviewed in, and they really didn't want any of these, particularly the young guys, talking about trauma. They just refused to accept that that was part of what, my, what the story was. They didn't want the story out there. Did you feel you were breaking a story? I mean, this is what a journalist would say, because, in a sense, you... There had been many official war artists before you. There had been many cases of damaged, <clears throat> um, uh, totally traumatised soldiers, but no-one had really told that story. Uh, I, I guess so. I, I, look, it was a really very stressful time. I had young men who were having breakdowns around me. One young man who, like the youngest man I'd met since then, he was 19 when I met him in Tarancott. He's attempted suicide three times, Daniel has. Um, and, and to be in that, you, you just, I didn't even, I just thought this story has to be told. And you're doing it for someone, so... And, and there was times where I started to get completely paranoid. I remember a helicopter flying over the studio 
I thought they're watching me. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> really paranoid stupidity. But and I rang Shane, who's still in, who's still an officer, who is he's he's going okay. And he said, Don't worry, all the guys with guns want your, this story told. Everyone who's armed is on your side. Everyone who's served. <laughs> I've had some funny experiences actually. One one um yeah, there was a very bad review of the painting of that man in the Archibald, and, and it's a great painting. The review is a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's not. He's actually a good reviewer. He hated the painting. Um, and um, did I just... <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. And that, the morning that it came out, this young officer rang me and said, have you, have you read The Age? And I said, yeah, Shane, why? He said, do you know that reviewer? And I said, uh... uh Kind of why? He said, do you want me to get him? Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not funny. This, no, Shane. This no. is the kind of support you need. I mean, do you see, like, you've come from very different approaches. You've come from within the system and you may have subverted it and upset it, but nonetheless you did come, um, you were what, what in the Gulf War they called an embed, really. And you, Andrew, you know, when came from outside. Do you see that those are two complementary things? Do you envy... Do you envy each other's, you know, like the way it is, or do you are there elements that you disapprove of? You know, what do you think about the different sides of that story, the internal one, where you, are, well, not internal, but but where you're reporting independently and when you're having to um, fight the system that let you go there in the first place. I think uh, with embeds, they were designed so the the various militaries around the world could have could control the stories that came out of the, the theatres of war. Um, and I think it's difficult to subvert that. Ben did so quite successfully. But if you're, a, um, if you're someone who's, who relies on that for work um, and you're going back time and time again, to an extent you have to toe the line, otherwise you're not going to be allowed back on an embed. Mm. Um, I've come into Afghanistan at a time where the embed system is, isn't really on offer. There's, there's very few... Um, would you accept it if you had Yeah, of course I would, yeah. um, you know, in order to show a, a, that perspective, you know, which, which is a significant part of the story in Afghanistan. But I think it's, um, it's, it's very difficult to go on embeds and not um, portray a very parochial... Um, perspective, um, you know, that's designed to um, appeal to the, the audience where those pictures or the writing or whatever it is is going to end up. There's very little, um, uh, there's very little focus on Afghanistan itself. It's more on the international um, impact yes. on Afghanistan. And, and um, I assume you were pleased when we were all pleased when we saw how effectively. Ben could subvert the system and actually didn't give one flying one about what the authorities thought <laughs> I'd about. already been paid. <laughs> <laughs> and you already had the access. Yeah, yeah. When you sit down together mm. and you talk about occupational hazards and because even though you, you live in different parts of the world, they're not dissimilar um, uh, motivations that you're following. What do you warn and caution each other? I just constantly ring him and say, what are you, what are you still there? What are you doing? <laughs> we were in Paris living with my two babies and Kylie a few years ago and Andy came, actually, I don't know if we've seen it. Oh, I have seen him since then, but he came from Afghanistan, from Syria, I think, 
to Paris and we're having this very elegant life with croissants and here comes Andy <laughs> carrying a helmet and body armour <laughs> and a camera and that was it. And there's photos of my children wearing Andy's body armour <laughs> in this beautiful studio in Paris. It was completely surreal. I mean, really, I, I've, when I was with the Defence Force, there was not a lot of risk, really. I was with soldiers. I mean, I guess they're a target. And they put me in navy blue, which I always never understood. So <laughs> what? shoot Look the artists you. first. Yeah, still in it. Um, they're all in camouflage and the one person is not the high-value target, <laughs> which is no value at all. That's the joke, I think. Um, whereas Andy's there on his own and it, and I, I still can't really get my head around how you manage that. Well, it's actually something I wanted to ask you about, which is that most people, I mean, less so, I think, among in the journalistic community, but most people have an instinct to avoid danger and in, given the choice between sort of fighting and fleeing, will flee. Do you have a reverse instinct? Is there something that, that, that you find attractive, not attractive, but compelling? Yeah, compelling. Professionally, I have that instinct, but it's not—it's um, not one. I don't consider myself a, a risk taker. I, um, I'm a, <laughs> like I'm a. I used to be a, a surfer, and I was, you know, petrified of big waves. So I always preferred smaller waves. I don't know. It, it becomes um, <laughs> you. Um, and when Ben warns you, what do you say? Yeah, She'll be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, mate. No, but it's, um, you know, a lot of... I'm not reckless, that's the thing, and, and none of my colleagues are, and, and anyone who is in our sort of circle of friends over there is kind of alienated because no-one wants to be around there was them and that exposed. Cult, and, that sort of cult, you know, really yeah, like the Bang Bang Club and that of whole course. cult yeah. of where it was going to the place of utmost danger. I mean, I remember that... that, that uh, book that was called, you know, anyone here being raped and speaks English. Mm. Because, you know, the idea being that, yeah, just like go in there, have no connection at all. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that you're not part of that in any way, but I would have thought that there was still, the danger in fact you're facing is not necessarily a physical danger so much at all, but there's a mental danger, there's a mental health danger. And a moral, I mean, it's probably more of a moral danger in that, the case of that book, I think, and that's something I think myself and all my colleagues consider a lot. Um, you know, what are we, what are we bringing to the people whose lives we're documenting? A couple of weeks ago, I was in a, a part of Afghanistan where uh, there was a lot of um, refugees in Pakistan who were being kicked out and, and back into the, the eastern part of Afghanistan. And I, um, you know, pulled over on the road because we saw this family obviously living in um, in poverty and and clearly had just returned. Um, and we, we pulled over and um, spoke to them, the head of the family, and he said, you're the 20th journalist who's stopped to talk to us in the last two years. What, what good is it going to do me talking to you? And that was like you know, a kick in the guts. I was like, yeah, good point. Could you answer Problem. that? Very no, I, I mean, I, in the end I did. I spoke to friends working in NGOs and said, look, here's this guy, um, here's his number, here's his location, he hasn't had assistance in two years, is there anything you can do? And, and I think there was, but that's a, an exception. You know, there's mm. plenty of days where I speak to guys like him and walk away and follow my story, follow my pictures and... Yeah. Do your job. Do my job, yeah. I mean, the, the mental health, I think, uh, and... Um, trauma or, or I mean, these are such grand words, but, but disturbance of the mind is relevant for both of you because it's not, I mean, you were, yes, you were physically safe, but you were encountering 
real horror stories in lots of ways. And then you got involved, of course, with um, the campaign to save Mayusu Gamaran mm. um, from, uh, from being killed. Uh, and um, you recently have been... You went down to the back of Valley and looked at the Syrian refugees' life there. So you both are, in lots of ways, um, uh, putting yourselves on the line mentally. How do you fortify yourself to go into those? Uh, I... And I know what Andy's saying about feeling, what are you adding? But I think without those voices, you, there's no one hears those silent people. Um, and you feel that you're doing something and it's a profoundly positive thing you're bringing to the world. Um, um, so, I mean, I, I go to the studio and that's where I fix my brain, I think. And I'd say that's... He probably does it in the surf. Where do you, where do you go to fix your What's brain? What's um, well, I mean, I, I find the work I do generally, like, really uh, rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, I don't, you know, at the risk of opening up a can of worms, I, I don't know what the difference is um, as far as the, the causes of PTSD uh, for soldiers as opposed to journalists or aid workers working in conflict zones, but I wonder if it's got something to do with the machinery that you're carrying, like... Well, death where, machinery. Where a soldier carries a gun and, you know, if he's had a rough week and no sleep and has a brain explosion, he can do something that he'll regret for the rest of his life. And I can't do that with a, with a camera. And um, I think it, it also has a lot to do with the, uh, the perspective you have on a, on a place um, because of the, the, the reason you're there. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the soldiers that are there are a target. Like, 100% of the time they're there. And, and as was Ben when he was there. And I, th I don't know what that does to your, it's a, your mental is, health. To like, to, to be briefly. constantly... Such a great image, that. <laughs> I mean, that's life. Yeah. A different sort of life. It's not all dark, is it? It's not all dark and terrible all the time. <laughs> if, if you don't consider a sport where they're um, vying over the carcass of a dead goat, not dark. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's historic. It's traditional. It is, I yeah. mean, that's. I think that's one of the things. Isn't it? I mean, that struck me because it's such a. It evokes, you know, primal images from mm -hmm. way back, like Picasso. Mm -hmm. We were talking about, but but um, the thing is, you, what tradition do you and both of you do you see yourself working in? I mean, we're journalists, and and so we kind of have a tradition. Whereas you are. Storytellers, you're doing it visually. Where, when you look back over your shoulder, do you look? At, do you look for Goya? Do you look for where do you look? Uh, I think both of. What, I think it's activism. I think art, all artists are activists. I think that's the nature of what we do. Is, act, is the, 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 the making something in response to something else is a form of activism. I think, um, and. And you look back at Guernica or any of those work, those seminal works from from the recent visual history. Um, they are activists' work, mm. um, and uh, you know, I guess as well. I think what we do. I know how much he loves what he does, and I love what I do. Mm. And you, you can't help but think you've got to give something back. It becomes part. It's a give and take. That you. I live this amazingly indulgent playing with pigment. I mean, it's what I wanted to do when I was three and I still get to do it, you know? And then you think, well, I can give something back. And then once you've done it once, it's just like, this is all I want to do. Yes. 
And what about what about you? I, was, uh, I think Ben's probably put it more articulately than I will. But I was going to say maybe the thing we have in common is a bit of anger. I mean, I think that's one thing that that was certainly driving me to get to Kunduz. Like this thing happened, and it's you they know, bombed yeah, a, hospital. a hospital. Like what's worse than that? Yeah. And so I think maybe taking risks for out of, out of anger is. Um, uh, that definitely comes in the equation. Yeah. And do you need to... I mean, we were talking on the phone the other about, about Kevin Carter, which many of you will know this case, a man who won the Pulitzer Prize, a, a, a photographer, and who took an image... Um, it was, he was showing the Sudanese famine and he took a very iconic image of a, a, a little child crumpled in the foreground and, and a vulture. Um, and there were two questions that he got in the neck. I mean, he killed himself within two months of winning the Pulitzer because a lot, I mean, he had his own problems, but the, the controversy it provoked because the question was, well, really, there's only one question. How could you lift the camera and not save the child? Mm. So that was a very sharp, um, there was a sharp demonstration. And how do you, how do you, do, do you ever think of that? That, you know, because Ben's talked about it in his context, but for your context, which is a lot more, you're there. I mean, I understand that response to um, a picture like that, but it also makes me really angry. If I, um, if someone's going to sit here in, in you know, sunny Sydney and judge and judge that, I'll say, well, you fucking go over there and save the kid. You know, like, mm. really? I mean, Kevin Carter was there to do a job. Um, I, I think it turned out that he did, he had helped the child, yes. or the, the circumstances were um, less uh, severe than, than the picture showed. He was close to a feeding centre. But people love to judge. Yeah, of course. And it's, I mean, you can't, um, you know, I've done all sorts of courses about, um, you know, uh, surviving in the you know, hostile environments and first aid, and the one thing they can't, that everyone wants to know is, what do you do if you're, um, you know, you're working and something bad happens in front of you and you're, you're faced with a choice of, of helping or, or working. You're there to work um, and no one can, I don't think, uh, tell you what they would do until they're confronted with the decision. Usually it's, it's a combination of the two. Mm. You can usually work a bit and, and help out. Um, and practically speaking, a situation I encountered recently in Kabul after a huge bomb went off and like hundreds of casualties um, I was, you know, I, I ran to the, the scene and was taking pictures and it was very chaotic and as a way for me to, um, my presence not to be so jarring was to help, like to, uh, rather than just standing over, you know, casualties, um, you know, get down, just, you know, it's very um, uh, nominal help but just to, visually it, it, it looks better if I'm helping someone into the back of a, a truck than standing over them and, and that can help, it can even help you work, I mean, to be completely honest. Um, but um, it's, I mean, you, yeah, you can't, I can't answer that yeah. until you're confronted with it, I don't think. Yeah. You've been so embraced by the journalism community, I mean, because you are telling stories that, um, well, you're pushing, you're pushing stories into a zone that words alone can't take it. How do you feel in return? Do you, do you welcome that or you 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 were saying you love your pigments. You just you don't want to be pushed too far well, into the narrator's role. I worked in a newsroom, and I'm glad I never have to work there again. <laughs> so tell. Well, no, I um, yeah, I 
It's, it's good to have a voice. It's great to have a voice. It's something that's looked down upon in a big way in the art world in Australia, I think. People don't expect artists to say anything. Um, to hell with that. What, what's that about? Why can't I? Everyone can say what they think. Um, and we're a, we're a funny society. If I hear another politician say we're the best country in the world, fucking seriously, have you been anywhere <laughs> in the world? <laughs> it's just such a stupid thing, nationalist bullshit thing to say. Um, and we are a complex place. There's stories here that, that, you know, I'm encouraging Andy to come and tell he as well. Yeah. Much safer. Where does the anger come from in the Quilty family, in the Quilty cousinage? <laughs> uh, I think, um, I don't know. But we're, yeah, there's a, quite a few of us. We're not the only two. <laughs> With a lot of anger. No, I mean, seriously, where? Because you do burn. Obviously, you burn and you have a very strong social justice streak. Where did that come from? Catholic upbringing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, the no. Catholic brother who beat me in year seven. Yeah. It's true. Seriously, that, it's that true. is something that made me really change the course of my life. And when I look back and wonder why I was such a psychotic 19-year-old, I think Dad's here. I'm sorry, Dad, for everything. <laughs> um, five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. There is... You, Jen's onto something there, but we don't want to talk about it. No, you don't, do you? <laughs> I can tell. Well, that, that's no good, because, you know, we're welcoming you into the journalistic community. You've got to actually tell us <laughs> your story. I don't know. Story. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, exposure. I think, you know, we grew up in, with such privilege, and then you go out and see what else is out there, and it doesn't sit well, and you, you, know, you only have to read to know... No, I don't know what it just, that doesn't always mo provoke people to react to the edge, but I, 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 accept, I accept a no comment when I hear it, but I just wanted to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have kept mo moving. I mean, I know you've retained uh, your connections with a lot of those people you painted, but um, like I was saying, you've, you've not long back from Syria where you went with Richard Flanagan and, and met the refugees there. I think you're tra going to travel again. You've, you know, you have kept... There's the Sukumaran campaign, which was so powerful. Um, what, about, um, what about you, Andrew? Do you think that you, you will stay in Afghanistan? Will that satisfy um, your professional and personal needs? Uh, yeah, it would satisfy professional needs and personal needs to an extent, but I think I probably need to pull up stumps there before it gets to a point where... I mean, even now... I'm what point? A point of where? Well, like... <coughs> You know, everyone talks about the canary in the coal mine over there, and it's different for everyone. Um, I haven't had my moment yet, but it's sort of... I mean, the... Would you hear it if, it's, if the canary started? Maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to leave. I mean, it's, it's professionally for me, it's, it's good, and I, I love the work. I find it very rewarding. Living in that environment is, um, is tiring, though. Mm. Um, and, and watching a, you know, constantly covering a story that is, um, or a country that is in decline for, you know, yet again, um, with very little hope that I can put my finger on. Um, mm. that's, that's definitely wearing on me. Do you have a sense of where you'd go next? Um, Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Heather, Heather, Heather Sparrett share all the gossip. <laughs> Where, what, what about, what would be your next project then? Uh, I'm doing a book with Syrian refugee children mm. and I'm going to send one to Peter Dutton and uh, <laughs> a few other people need a copy of this book yeah. because I realised when I was there, I, I was there with Richard and Richard was writing this brilliant essay and I could do some drawings but um, and his essay was just so profound, it didn't need any illustrations but I gave them to him anyway. But I realised that when I got children to draw, there is a universal truth in children's drawings. You know, an eight-year-old can't make anything up. There's no propaganda. There's no crap. It is just real experience. Um, and they all draw. They're all willing to draw. So we've got children. I've just come back from Amman and, and um, Lebanon and working with World Vision, but also partner organisations in Syria and in northern Iraq, getting these drawings out. And um, we'll publish, hopefully, in time for the seventh anniversary of the war in Syria on 15th of March next year. But the truth is, everything you see becomes your art. I mean, because you're, you're mentioning the drawings of the children, but I mean, I've been to your studio and there's images of the life jackets that you saw on the beaches in Greece. And there's images of the wedding, the dresses that you saw. Everything you turn into a story, don't you? Yeah, if it's on, on a good day. You don't see me on the bad days, though, Jen. I don't invite you to the studio when it's going really badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's only good. Look how good I am. <laughs> Look at this, Jen. Uh, yeah, there's, there, you want something that has legs that can continue on. And once that, once in an in a art practice like mine, once something works and it can be one painting that then leads to more, and then the whole practice has a life of its own and, and you're almost just controlling this beast that runs along on its own. And that always comes and goes. Um, but it's like, you know, they say writer's block and, and artist block. It's, I used to work for a plumber before I worked in TV, and I'm not sure which was a harder job or worse. Um, but but um, I hope no one here works in TV. <laughs> Watch out. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jen. Um, and he, he'd get to work in the morning, and, and it'd be freezing cold, and the tools would be solid ice on them. and. You don't get plumber's block, you know. You, you've got to go and work. And <laughs> I learned that you've got to go to work and you've got to work and it's got to be every single day. And everyone gets that, that idea of the writer's block. I get it every single morning in winter in the studio. You just power through it. One last question because I, I, I appreciate your timekeeping, Ben, and I have been listening to you. Pleasure. It's very good. Um, <laughs> one last thing. What, what aspect of each other's skills do you have any... Envy of, or all you'd like to have for yourselves, or what is? Well, I, I can say, I've, I mean, like for example, Myron, I, they someone wanted to do a story, and I said, no, I'm not interested. And then the, the lawyer said, all right, I think we would like you to do this story. It's good timing for Myron and Andrew. And I said, I'll only do it if you fly Andrew over, which is a good. And they think I'm just saying it because he's my cousin, which is true. But I've seen him work, and it's there's something completely magic in the way he does it. Because you, you don't, I don't know how you do it. He just has this knack. You don't even know he's there. You don't even know he's doing it. And then you see these images. I think someone else must have been with you, Quilts. How did you do that? That's magic. It really is an unbelievable skill that he has. It so is. I could have told them that he was going to win that award. Really? Yeah. I should be a judge. He'd win it again. <laughs> <laughs> and what do, that's, what, do you, what do you look at in Ben's work and admire? Well, I always... Um, Wish you had. I love painting it. At high school, but I never th knew I could. I never knew there was a way you could make a living out of it. So you I thought there'd be a living work, living in Kabul with a camera? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 
To be honest, I, I prefer looking at paintings like Ben's or, or reading the work of people like Richard Flanagan than I do looking at, at um, photographs. So there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of stuff that I envy outside of you know, my own uh, sort of skill set. Your work has a kick that's nothing, that nothing is quite like. You've been listening to the Walkley Talks podcast. If you've liked this podcast, there are a couple of things you can do to support it. Sign up to our newsletter at walkleys.com forward slash subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes and other Walkley news. Rate us on iTunes. Or join the conversation on Twitter and like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced with help from freelance journalist and fabulous intern Courtney Hunter and former Walkley superstar Kate Golden in Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening.